the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friends, the gospel that is the good news about Jesus, that comes from God, is our way out of the graveyard. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Thank you so much for joining us here today. The last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of Pastor Mike's message entitled, Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. We will complete that message here today. Thank you so much for listening. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Well, all right then, let's get underway with today's message from Pastor Michael Longsentenko entitled, Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. And if you missed any portion of the first message, remember it's available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Longsentenko. And I was writing this message, praying about it, struggling with the fact that I'm here too. I'm right where Paul's at. It's hard to write about something when you can feel the content so deeply in your own experience. And then a message popped up on my laptop. Boom, just like that. This message was pasted with a bright sun in the background with words of hope. God has plans for you this year. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, Happy New Year 2021. Boy, that worked for me. I couldn't express the truth of Romans 8, 1 better than right here in this text message. What does it mean when God says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? It means that God has plans for you that are good to the core and to the end of your life. It means that God has not worked out your life so that it will be a disaster at the end. He is working for your success in relationship to Him. It means that the scowls and frowns of others don't matter one bit to a loving God who holds the legal verdict of your life as not guilty in Jesus Christ. It means that you have a future and a hope that is a certain hope because your future and your hope is not in you It's in God's hands and you're safe there. So when you struggle with you, as good people do, you must always remember that God does not struggle at all about you. He doesn't struggle about what he will do for you because God is confident in his love for you and his acceptance of you because it resides in Christ Jesus. And God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You're in Christ. He's also pleased with you. There is only one condition for freedom from the condemnation that we have in Christ. Only one in this verse. And here it is. Romans 8, 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being in Jesus is the key. Paul says in Romans 6, 3 that you were baptized into Jesus because of your faith. You have faith in Christ. You get baptized. Why? Because you identify with Christ's death on the cross for you. You identify with the fact he was buried, therefore your sins are buried. And you identify with the fact that he was raised from the dead and God justified him on Sunday morning and you are too. And thus you are a forgiven saint with a new life. Baptism means all that. 
Paul holds that the law in and of itself, friend, cannot save us because he also holds to the truth that you cannot be saved without the law. So there's a tension here. The law can't save us, but you can't be saved without the law. When you try to obey to be saved and to be accepted with God, according to Paul, you seek a righteousness that is not from God because the law was never meant to be your righteousness, to be your Savior. But when you surrender to God in Jesus to save you, as you struggle day to day, like in Romans 7, then God puts that law into your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the law for you is no longer the law of sin and death because you're no longer condemned by it. It becomes the law of the life of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Thus, the other side of the law becomes the law of a new life. Obeying for the right reason. No longer fearful of failing, but joyful to complete the journey. And thus, the Spirit of the law is brought into the life of the believer. And Paul knew this. In fact, the heavy concept in Romans 8 is the power of the new life that is rooted in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 2. Take your Bibles. Turn with me. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So he moves to the next in Christ Jesus statement in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, then he gets personal, has set me free from the law of sin and death. He set me free. He says, what I'm struggling with in Romans 7... Yeah, I'm struggling, but I am not under any kind of condemnation because a law has set me free from the law of condemnation and death. Verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, what did God do? He condemned sin in the flesh. Some people don't think anything like that happened at the cross, that God would never condemn sin, that God would never judge sin. Nope, that's what he did. At the cross of Christ is judgment day for every human being in Jesus. God condemns sin in the flesh, he goes on to say, in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now the law says that you should die because you're a sinner. And thus we die in Christ to sin. And we are just in God's verdict to make us alive. In verse 2, there are two laws. You'll notice that. He speaks of the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. When we rely on the law, the written code, the Ten Commandments, without Jesus, the law is dead and has no power for good in our lives. It's just a fact. Paul says in Romans 7 8 that evil can even use the law to make you more evil. Evil can manipulate the law so that you become a real legal kind of Christian, and thus you're real evil. Just ask a Pharisee. They don't know because they are blind and narcissistic and evil, and they don't have a clue that even though they look righteous, they're rotten to the core. Paul says they're whitewashed sepulchers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus said they're whitewashed sepulchers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the power of sin is the law. In Romans 7, 11, that the commandment kills so if you want to rely on the law for a new life, the law becomes for you the law of sin and death. That's what Paul is saying. You can't rely on the law for righteousness as your Savior. You don't need a what to save you. You need a who to save you. Paul says the wages of sin is death, and we have all sinned. And James says we all make mistakes. And this Paul and James agree, as they do in all other things, for the careful reader with a very discerning mind and open spirit. Friend, we need a different kind of law in our life to be saved. To change us, we need a different kind of law than the law of sin and death. 
The Ten Commandment law requires your life in death if you sin just one time. It's an unforgiving law. How many of you have sinned one time in your life? You ever sinned one time in your life? Well, the Ten Commandment law requires that you die. That's why Paul says the power of sin is the law. The law requires you die. It's an unforgiving law. And when Jesus died on the cross, friend, he died for all our sins at one time. Forgiveness is at the cross because he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's what they do that needs forgiving. We've all sinned. The law says you do it once, you die. Jesus is dying on that cross. Friends, when you read the Gospels and you read the writings of Paul and James, it's clear Jesus exhausted the full condemnation of the law in every way for you in every part of your life where you have failed. Christ relived every human being's life on the cross and from Gethsemane to the cross. He went through it all from Adam to the end. You can think of the most ugly chapter in your existence. Christ was there with you on the cross. He felt it as if he did it. Every bit of justice that the holy and good law of God requires and condemnation flowed from the law through him in his suffering for you as you. So that when he was done with you, your guilt, your sin, your right to be condemned, there was nothing left to condemn on that cross. He had totally absorbed it from Adam to the end. That's why we call it the atonement. Then Jesus was buried in the tomb. So he died for our sins on Friday. Huge event. Then Jesus was buried in the tomb on Saturday. He rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath, like he did at the dawn of time. Some people say, well, the Sabbath's done away with. Well, Jesus honored it after he died on the cross. He honored it by resting. We ought to do the same. It represented his rest from sin. It always represents that. The Sabbath is a sign that we are finished by faith before we start. It's a sign that we rest in a completed work that God accomplishes for us. Jesus rested in the tomb. The law of God requires the death of the sinner. And consequently, Jesus died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15 says, which is the most important point of the apostolic gospel. But you know what? The law of God has another side to it. It's not just the law of sin and death that condemns. This we see at the cross. It is the side of the devil didn't see. There's another side of the law the devil didn't see. There was a mystery. In the book of Revelation, there's a book, God's eternal covenant. And God can see what's on his side of it, but we can't see. At the cross, we didn't see it until resurrection morning. It is this side, the hidden side, that holds the mystery of God's justice, that kisses his mercy at the cross, so that the two principles meet and they show that there are one, and there's perfect harmony within these two principles. After the cross on Friday, on Sunday morning, The judgment reconvened, and it was discovered that a righteous man had died for the unrighteous on the cross. That was a scandal in the universe. The law of God requires the death of the unrighteous. And the scandal that it was, this righteous man sucked all of it into himself to defame the power of the holy, just, good law to condemn anyone. And thus the righteous died for the unrighteous, as Isaiah said. And it was amazing, and it was discovered that a man who had never sinned died for the many who sinned all the time. And that same law that requires the death of the sinner had another side to it on Sunday morning, discovered in God's decree that raised Jesus from the dead. The holy and just law of God requires that the man who never sinned must live. 
Just like it had required that the man who sins must die. The righteous died for the unrighteous. But the law requires that you cannot leave a righteous man in the grave. For the sinless, yes, but not the righteous man. Christ was righteous. Thus the sinless man who kept the Ten Commandment law of God has a right to the law of the spirit of life that sets him free from death. And Christ was raised because it would have been an infraction against the law of God itself to keep him in the tomb. God raised Jesus from the dead because Jesus was not guilty. Can I hear an amen to that? Christ was not guilty. Now here's what I'm going to say based on Paul. If you make the journey by faith from the cross to the resurrection... You're baptized into Christ. You go from the cross of the resurrection. If you're with Jesus in your baptism, you will be raised with Jesus. And that means you are not guilty either because you are in Christ. The new life becomes the grateful life that is motivated by love, mercy, and forgiveness. That is a live, spirit-filled life in Jesus. And when God raises Jesus from the dead, friend, God justified Jesus. That means he was legally acquitted, not guilty, no condemnation. Before the universe, Christ was justified. And God declared in Jesus that we who belong to him are not guilty either. Because we've lost our old identity. We are hid with God in Christ. And that's not all that God did in Jesus when he raised his son from the dead. God raised Jesus for our justification also because in the gospel we are not guilty if we're in Jesus. Look at Romans 4.25. Here's the clear statement in Romans 4. Jesus who was put to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification, our legal acquittal. And then he'll go on to say, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When a man or woman comes to Jesus on their knees, you don't come to Jesus unless you crawl, really. You can't come to Jesus condescendingly. You come to Jesus broken, realizing that you're a sinner struggling like Paul is in Romans 7. When you come to Jesus and you put your simple childlike faith in him to save and heal and restore, you are saved by a grace that gets it done. They will walk in a new life. God doesn't leave you under the control of the old life. In the walk with Jesus, the power of the new life in the Spirit of God will set you free from the old patterns of thought, the old way of thinking, because you have nothing to prove. You're growing as a child will grow in a content family, loved by a God who is your father, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, obeying for the right reasons. And so we live a different kind of life in relation with God because we're not relating to the law in the same way as our condemning enemy. When a man or woman is in Christ, he or she has the Holy Spirit in their life. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit in your life. That means you have God in your life, and they live a life that is free from condemnation because they've been set free to become slaves of righteousness because of the love of God. Sure enough, they'll struggle with sin. That's what Paul's doing in Romans 7. But they will not give up. They will not be cast into despair. They will look to the gospel and realize that God is doing a work in their life and God will get it done. And finally, they will express joy in the fact that they're children of God in that journey, which starts now, not at the end of the road. Romans 8, 12. I want to read just a few passages here from Paul to complete the thought and then share a brief story with you that happened recently. Romans 8, 12. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is saying, as we struggle against sin... We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. We are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It's the very struggle we need. The thing that we think is awful is what we need. And if you grow in God struggling like that, you're going to live. Look at verse 4. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children or sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father. Why don't you say that with me? Abba, Father. That's what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. It is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There it is. There's the evidence. When you cry out to God, Abba, Father, Father, God. I'm struggling. That's evidence you're a child of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided. Now here's the condition. We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We've got to grow. And yes, growing's hard. Facing our sins down is difficult. But God is with us. And Jesus gets it done. Romans 8.15 is the exact center of the book of Romans. And the expression, Abba, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. We pray with purpose, Abba, Father. It's the linguistic center of the book. The gospel brings us to God, Abba, Father. It brings us to God so we can pray with confidence and seek and find God every day of our lives and know that God is our Father forever. Our Father. You may have been born in the graveyard. I was. All of us were. But in Jesus, you don't have to stay there anymore. Just like Tony, your name means precious one to God. Because in the new life, you are a child of God, just as precious to him as his son Jesus who he gave to save you. So in the gospel, friends, we are saved by a gracious God and no one else. Not a what, but a who. Abba, Father. It's amazing how an older brother can save another child who is younger. There are rescue stories in the news as of late. A little boy in New Tazewell, Tennessee, is a hero today because he went on a mission of mercy before Christmas for his father's sake to save his little sister from the fire. Eli is seven years old, and his name means my God. His father's name is Chris, who is named after Christ. In a way, their roles are reversed in this story, playing opposite roles. Eli's mother's name is Nicole, and her name means the people's victory. Sometimes names matter in a story that I think comes from God to teach us something. Recently, Nicole's family was sleeping around 11.30 p.m. Nicole said, someone woke me up, and I know it was God. God woke me up. I heard his voice. He woke me up. Both she and her husband were firefighters, and she knew when she awoke that her house was on fire. They both sprang into action to save their children. Chris grabbed the fire extinguisher to buy time so Nicole could get the kids out of the burning house. Nicole took the hands of the boys who were closest to the fire and led them to safety. Their 22-month-old daughter was still 
asleep in the crib as the house was engulfed with flames. The flames rose as the house was burning furiously and then Nicole was seized with fear as every good mother. She's the opposite of that monster mother that let the boy off in the graveyard. She was seized with fear as she realized in love that her daughter was still in the house and she couldn't get to her to save her. Her husband, Chris, was too big to efficiently climb into the window and save his daughter. So there was a real pinch here. He looked then at his seven-year-old son, Eli, and there was no need to explain what they both knew they had to do. There was no need to explain. No argument between them. They agreed and acted without hesitation. Chris took his precious son, his son, and he gave him a boost. He, as a father, lifted him into his little sister's bedroom. He broke the window to bring her out. He lifted him up and he put him in to the fire. It took a while, but Eli crawled on the floor where he could breathe all the way to the crib as he felt the heat of the place. That seven-year-old boy crawling toward the crib of his little sister. And Eli describes the experience in his own words. Here's what he said. Dad busted the window and then I said, I can't do it. Like two times. And then I said, I got her, Dad. And when he went down there, I said I was scared, but I didn't want my sister to die. Eli also said this. He said, it's okay to be scared, but you're brave inside and you can do it when you want to. The house was completely destroyed in the fire, but the family was saved because Eli got it done for dad. The son got it done for dad. When I read this story, I couldn't help but think of Jesus and his father. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the Garden of Gethsemane when the world was on fire with sin and the flames threatened to destroy us all. And the final judgment day of fire, it was alive and running wild throughout all time. And Jesus knew the outcome. Jesus fell to the ground at the Garden of Gethsemane as the sins of the world began to come into his mind from Adam to the end, one life after a time, overwhelming. His human nature began to shut down in the garden. The Bible says he dropped great clots, thromboi in the Greek, like a thrombosis. Clots of blood fell from his face to the ground as he just clenched it, trying to hang on to life as he was dealing with our sins. Fear, stress, off the charts. The son prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, like Eli. And then God the Father lifted his son Jesus up from the ground, gave him the boost. And he gave him the boost to go through the window and to lift him up to the cross to die for our sins in the flames of the altar, which is Calvary. Christ died near the altar of the red heifer on the summit of the Mount of Olives, according to Scripture. In the darkness of that journey, God went into the flames with his son. That's where the story breaks down. In the divine tale, God went with Jesus to the cross, just like Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain to the place of sacrifice. They suffered, both of them, in the fire that is the cross and the darkness of the cross. And God heard his son cry out, who got it done that day for you and me. The cry came from the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. Before that, he said, Father, forgive them. It is finished. I got them, Dad. Them all. Although we were saved from the fire that day, Jesus and the Father will forever bear the scars of the flames when the Son of God got it done for Dad on the cross. Paul says in Jesus, 
we pray with purpose because we are accepted and our prayers are heard because of Jesus. God has willed that any sinner can be saved through Jesus. That is God's plan for us, the gospel of God. And thus we learn that Christ who cried out to God, Abba, Father, we can do the same because he is our Father. Abba means daddy. Abba, Baba, Abba, Baba, Dada, Dada. We are God's children because Jesus got it done for God on that day. It happened in time. The darkness of the cross. No one knows what happened when Jesus died because the darkness is so profound. No one could peek in. Only God the Father and God the Son know the heat, the flames, the fire, and the pain of what happened in the awful darkness of the cross. We are God's children, friend, because Jesus got it done. So what do we do? We pray with purpose, free from condemnation, accepted by a loving God in Jesus. And we cry out in our prayers with confidence that he will see us through. Abba, Father, Abba, Father, thank you for Jesus, who is the basis of our new life. May God bless you and keep you in Jesus to live for him, to obey for the right reasons and not the wrong ones, and to never put your faith in self but in Christ, your right to righteousness, a right now righteousness, good enough for the judgment day. Well, that's going to conclude the message Pastor Mike entitles Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. Thank you so much for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.